Hello and welcome to Landings with a Flare, the podcast where we supplement and support flight training. This is Captain Teresa. This conversation was recorded on the audio platform called Clubhouse. You will likely hear some variation in audio quality as speakers tune in from around the world. We hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations. Welcome aboard. We are here to speak about mental health in the aviation industry for pilots and also for any aviation professional. And of course, this can extend to other industries as well. Now, we all know that when we go to fly a plane, we want to make sure that the pilots who are flying the plane and anyone else who worked on the plane, perhaps mechanics or air traffic controllers, and even our flight attendants, we want to make sure that they are in a good mental state because everyone always has to be ready to handle any situation that comes up. We all know how important it is to have aviation professionals in a good state of mental health. Now, to take that on the flip side, what if you are that aviation professional and you are struggling because you're human? I mean, we're all human. We're not robots. And there are times when we go through adjustments in life or a mourning process or we have other issues. How does a a true professional deal with it without just automatically kissing their career goodbye or saying, you know, having troubles? So that is why I have brought the wonderful Deschelle Burroughs here, who has a business called Aviation Coaching and Consulting. And I want to introduce her to you. And then I'm going to start by asking her questions, but we're going to pause in between for comments, for other questions, for clarifications and that type of thing. Dishel, you are a licensed professional counselor, a certified life coach, a certified mindfulness mindfulness coach, and a sex therapy and trauma trained coach. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I am, Captain Teresa. Excellent. And I know that you have a unique perspective on the aviation industry because you were a flight attendant at a major airline for 16 years. And your husband works at a major airline. He's in maintenance, but he's also a pilot and a flight instructor, which I love also being a flight instructor. I know that you have a lot of experience. You can relate to working extended hours, diverting, having schedule changes, things like that. And I know that you also have some insights on work-life balance because you are a wife and a mother. So I am so happy to have you here. And... I think what we agreed we were going to do is we were going to start out with some disclaimers. Nothing here is going to be legal or official advice. It's not counseling. It's coaching. Dashell, did you want to say anything else about disclaimers? That's just it. You already said it, that this is just advice. This is just information. This is not counseling. This is coaching. If you are needing a counselor in your area, you can definitely reach out to me and I will try to find you that resource. I have no problem with providing those additional resources for you as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your saying that. And I know that this can be a taboo subject in a profession where people have to worry about their medical certificates. Anything that anybody asks, we're going to say that you're asking for a friend. We're all going to say it's hypothetical. Let's just put that out there now. So, Dashell, let's get started. We originally were speaking about medical factors for pilots previously, and we realized we had a great conversation with you, and we realized all these tie-ins. So, 
How is mental health an extension of physical health and why is that important? That's a great question. So your mental health is an extension of your physical health because as life happens, so much of of us changes. And so with that, our mental health is completely affected just by, it could be easily affected by a diversion. It could be easily uh, affected by a rerouting. And so what happens is your mental health takes on all the things that are happening with your body. So if you are not well physically, then your mental health will be definitely affected as well. And so um, when you have those things, such as maybe that unscheduled flight change, or you're down to just minimum crew rest when you thought you were on an extended layover, completely your mental health would be adjusted because then you're like, oh my God, wait a minute. I had these plans. I had these things and going on, or I wanted to just get additional rest and now I'm not able to do so, but I still have to jump up and be flight ready the next day. And so you have to make sure you are preparing yourself mentally for all those different changes that the airline professionals go through in their careers, whether it be the delay, whether it be the diversion, whether it be you're on reserve and you're just getting called out and you thought you were going to be home for Thanksgiving because you thought you had made it past that certain time window to be going out for that big trip and all of a sudden you get that late notice. So you have to make sure that your mental health is in check so that way you're able to bounce back and be great in your career as well. I love that. So many good points. I know that you work with a lot of aviation professionals. What are some of the more common issues that you see when it comes to work-life balance? Definitely, there could be anxiety uh, focused around trying to be home with your family or wanting to be home with your family, but having to be on the road. Like I said, in the airline careers, in the airline professions, depending on your seniority, you may not have that luxury of being home as much as you want to be home or being home for a holiday. And it's really hard when you're a new airline professional and you're used to being home. And now for those major holidays and those shifts, you're not able to be that. So sometimes that involves your family now being a little upset with you and causing maybe extended stress as well because they want you home for the holidays. You know, we have to make those adjustments, but sometimes you don't think about the adjustments going in as such as maybe celebrating the holiday beforehand, maybe the week before or days before you leave. Thanksgiving does not have to be celebrated on Thanksgiving. Christmas doesn't have to be celebrated on Christmas, but we really get tied into celebrating on on those days or whatever your holidays are that you celebrate. Those are just examples. And so that work-life balance definitely creates hardships for airline professionals because they're being pulled in both directions and that can lead to distress as well for them. Wow. I can really relate to what you said about the holidays. I I work a lot of holidays and it has been a process to kind of know when to train sort of the family just not to expect you around, but also to try to convince them to meet on other days or to maybe do a nice Zoom call or something like that. So families are a really big deal, especially, you know, when children are in the picture and relationships and that kind of thing. And the other thing, Dishelle, that I really like how you said is about changing jobs. Anytime we have big changes in our life, I know that that's a big stressor. I was listening to a talk about mental health for college students and just going to college can be a huge stressor and that can give them maybe some short-term anxiety and that type of thing. And it's, you know, often 
just better to nip that kind of thing in the bud. It doesn't mean that you're broken forever. It just means you're going through a change. And it's good to know that. And something like that doesn't necessarily disqualify a pilot for a medical. It can just be a short-term adaptation. Absolutely. And so this is the thing. A lot of people think when they are struggling with mental health issues, with anxiety, with depression, with other issues, they're thinking, oh my God, if I say something, that means I'm going to be on medication. You know, for me as a coach and as a therapist in in the Atlanta area, I do not subscribe to medication. I subscribe to what are your positive ways of coping. Let's help find those things first. I don't ever want to affect, you know, especially a pilot's license. Let's find other ways of coping first before we have to say, oh my God, you need to be on medication or you need to do this, that, and the other. I think there are definitely different ways to deal with the anxiety, um, with the depression, you know, possibly with grief. And so we have to tackle those things first. Let's talk about that a little bit. I know that you have this awareness of how important passing a medical certificate is or passing a medical exam. And yet things have to be nipped in the bud. So what kind of things can you offer people where they don't have to worry about, oh, if I, if I say too much, I might lose my medical certificate or something like that? What, what advice or encouragement would you give to someone who is just maybe starting to struggle before it gets too serious? I would say reach out to possibly a service like mine that offers coaching that you can get support around. We offer pretty much around the clock coaching. So you can be on a layover and get what you need and meet your coaches. Maybe you don't want your family or your company knowing that you are seeking coaching, but we offer confidential safe spaces that you can say, let me address these issues that I have going on. So that way you can get the support you need. If it's something you know major, of course, we will have to refer you to a counselor in your area. But if there's some things that we can definitely support on the front end to help you get that work-life balance and get yourself together, we would definitely love to be able to support you in that way. Definitely, we again offer that confidential space because we understand the importance of you can't always tell your coworkers, you can't tell the people sitting next to you that you are having these struggles because in some airlines, I'm, I mean, and I've worked at one, whereas if you mentioned it, you know, the wrong person found out, you would definitely lose your job. And sometimes the people sitting beside you would report you quicker than the company noticing themselves. And that creates a space of feeling like you're alone struggling. And so with us, we don't want you to feel like you're alone struggling. We want to um, help support you while you're feeling like you need to get that support. And let's get you to a place where you can get the support you need. Again, if counseling is called, we definitely we will support you in getting a counselor in your area. But we definitely can help you on the front end to make maybe helping you find the balance you need to keep going in your career. So I've got two questions on that. First of all, If someone wants to work with you virtually, can they do that? Absolutely, they can. Yes, we do offer Zoom sessions as well as Google Meet sessions as well. Okay, and then my big question. Let's say that someone opens up, they're honest with a counselor, they tell them exactly what they're going through. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's something else. As soon as they're officially diagnosed, they have to report it to the FAA, even if the counselor is bound by confidentiality, do you give an official diagnosis that would have to be reported on the next medical exam? It would, because I'm working in a coaching status, I will not be diagnosing at all. 
because this is a coaching firm. So there is no diagnosis here. We are just here to support the professional in getting the support they need. Excellent. So that's not to say that people should avoid a, a, an official diagnosis if they need one. Absolutely. If we felt like they needed one, if we felt like we needed to refer them, like things may be above a coaching grade, then we definitely would re- refer them to a therapist in their area. Absolutely. Excellent. And yet, sometimes it just nipping it in the bud is so important, even just getting out of our own heads and speaking with somebody. Dishelle, so this is really, this is helpful that people can find ways, if, if the only thing that is stopping them from getting counseling is just maybe being afraid of a diagnosis, there are intermediate steps where they can officially not get the diagnosis, but still get their thoughts out and start just working with someone to help tell them if they're, they're, you know, they're ruminating is crazy or if they're on the right track and that kind of thing. Let's talk about how to do basic self-care. Let's go foundational here. If someone needs advice for self-care, what would you recommend? I would recommend, first off, getting back to their roots. What are some things that you've done before? You may not consider it self-care, but it may have been self-care for you. So that could include maybe going out and hitting a few holes on the golf course with some friends. That could include maybe going on a hike. That could include just phoning a friend or whatever those things are that you've done in the past that you were taking care of yourself. And before you, again, you may not have deemed it as self-care because self-care is a new term. It's that 2020 term or what have you, but self-care, we've been doing it for years. Self-care could be taking up, picking up that additional trip. Maybe if, you know, if things are a little stressful at home and you need to get away, you may say, hey, I'm going to pick up this little two-day trip just so you can kind of get away from what's going on. Just kind of getting away from the things that are causing you stress, setting firm boundaries around your schedule. You know, I'm I'm just going to work these days. I'm not going to pick up any additional. I'm only going to do certain trips if you have that capacity to do so. I'm only going to do three-day trips this month versus a five-day trip. You know, do things that make you feel good and hold you accountable to getting the rest you need, taking care of yourself, having that time to spend with yourself. Even if family time, if that's self-care and you're saying you're able to say, you know what, I'm taking off for my son's birthday, even though usually I fly during that time. But now, you know, my son really wants me home and I want to be home for my son. Then that's a great way of doing self-care, because not only are you taking care of yourself, but you're taking care of maybe satisfying someone else in your life. The thing is, is that we have a capacity of overextending ourselves. And so when you get back to saying what feels good to you first, then you're able to take care of yourself, take care of others. That extends to the airline professionals. You can't take care of a hundred and something people on the airplane if you're not well yourself. You know that whole adage of um, put your oxygen mask on first. That applies with your self-care as well. Making sure that you're doing the things that keep you well, so that way you can perform best for not only yourself, but others around you. I love that. If you don't take care of yourself, how do you expect to take care of other people? And, you know, filling up your emotional tank, it's just like filling up a plane with oil and fuel. It's, it's wonderful. Siafa, thank you for being willing to share your story. Go right ahead. My name is Siafa. I'm a... I'm a pilot as well, like most of you guys. 
started flying in North America and then uh, moved back to Accra, Ghana, where I'm originally from, and flew some really nice aircraft, Embraer's, and uh, currently the 737 NG. So COVID came about and got grounded for a while, for about four or five months. And then when we started flying again, uh, within a week of resumption of duties, I fell sick on board a flight from uh, Senegal to... So Senegal is a country you know, uh, in Western Africa to Togo, which is another country on the other extreme side of uh, the Gulf of Guinea. I got sick on board the flight and I was shivering. And of course, you know, COVID-19 uh, infectious disease procedures were enacted. I mean, were, you know, uh, supposed to be enacted, uh, which wasn't. I happened to, to be flying with a captain who happened to be my chief pilot. So I, I wanted to get, for example, my temperature check and then something for the fever because I was trembling. He refused and I just got served like green tea and three hours later we landed. ATC wasn't informed. I was abandoned at the airport. My temperature at the airport was just under 39 degrees Celsius. So I don't know if that's what, 89, 90 degrees Fahrenheit maybe. So yeah, so I, I filed an ASI report for a serious incident, you know, I mean, the pilot being sick on board, pilot incapacitation with my airline. It came back very strongly. The first response I got from the human resource was uh, due to the depressive nature of your sickness, you refrain from making any statement or complaints that can be seen as aggression towards your superior. So essentially, long story short, the company decided to... I, did a, I went to see a, a doctor... And that was recommended by the company. And he didn't want to do a COVID test on me. He only wanted me to get tested for malaria, you know. So I insisted I did a malaria test. And after a while, the COVID result wasn't coming. They said I had malaria. The company treated me. And the company sent some pilots to tell me if I kept making safety reports, they would attack my mental health. So I, I did I did copy the C at some point because um, I felt like I was being put in a corner. So the company asked me to go see the, uh, the aviation assessor in Togo. But because I, I'm a validation holder, my license is from Ghana and Canada, there was no regulatory reason for me to, especially when I was on sick leave and getting treated for malaria. What happened in the end was um, I had to inform the authorities and my country of my contracting state that I've been sick for more than 20 days. And when I got to Ghana to renew my medical, the do doctor there told me, he was very quick to tell me, hey, you have mild depression. He asked me four questions about my energy level. I said it wasn't really high. He asked me if I wanted to fly for the company again. I said, with how they're going about things, it seems unlikely. And of course, he asked me if I felt like not living anymore. And I said, no, um, you know, I'm a resilient person. I'm just upset about what happened, but I don't feel like I'm depressed. And I'm a bit of a neuroscience geek apart from flying. So I have, I have some idea on how to you know, manage my emotions and all that, especially being a pilot. The uh, doctor in Ghana, who is not a mental health specialist, 
told me that I have to do psychotherapy for a month and he will give a psychologist guidance on how my psychotherapy will be done. But the administrator from the civil aviation called me and informed me that the uh, doctor, the examiner, was in touch with my human resource manager in the other country, which is Togo. So obviously I knew my company was stretching their hands and tentacles all over the place. I informed the director of Ghana Civil Aviation and I got in touch with my lawyers. I got in touch with uh, uh, Robert Bar uh, Baron. He's a leading uh, safety uh, director at Embry-Riddle and also another American pilot called um, Dr. Carlin Petit. You know, she had a similar situation with me uh, like I did. So the, the airline decided to terminate my contract. You know, I was dismissed and there's some uh, legal suit going on. But based on Article 13 of the Chicago Convention, Attachment C uh, lists pilot incapacitation as a serious incident which should be investigated by the civil aviation. Uh, the civil aviation in Togo refused to investigate it because the company didn't report it. And now in Ghana, I went to see a, a neurosurgeon who did some MRI and CT scan and, you know, some endocrine tests and all that. It all came good. And he sent me to to a, a clinical psychologist and a neuropsychologist, the results were great. Yes, there were some stresses with what was going on with the company. Um, and then I did see a psychiatrist on my own, and it was all good. Uh, the company decided to send me back to the doctor in Togo on my return. And this doctor was trying to misdiagnose me. Uh, essentially, uh, at the moment, uh, what I'm trying to say is as pilots, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, jobs that are not available like, you know, pre-COVID. And the fact that our job in itself, it's, it's demanding, you know, uh, maybe not as much physically, but I think mentally it's a demanding job. So the kind of assistance or response I expect, you know, wasn't the response I got. I have management from Ethiopia and Togo. And if you look at the cultural background, like uh, Dr. Bob Robert uh, Barron was saying, normally if you're a junior pilot and you try to report a senior pilot, then your mental health gets attacked. So I just wanted to share that story so that it could be a subject of discussion or we could uh, dissect it somewhere or another. Siafa, thank you for being willing to share that with everyone. That's not easy. That in many ways is every pilot's worst nightmare. We love our jobs. We want to keep our jobs and same with other aviation professionals. And we'd hate to lose our job for a valid reason. We'd hate to lose it even more for a reason that we don't believe is valid, especially you know when we don't believe that we have an issue and other people do. That is so sad. And I'm, I really wish you the best. I'm glad you're, you're pursuing that more. That is a very complicated situation. Does anyone have comments or anything that they'd like to say regarding that? I would love to add that, you know, you also need to be talking about with whomever is pursuing it for you, you know, the stress that the company put on you in that situation that may have caused yeah the feelings that you were having, you know, if you were having the increased anxiety, the depression that they, that they said that you had, 
those things came sounds like they came from, you know, how you were being treated. And so making sure that that's documented with the psychologist that you're dealing with, as well as with the, um, with the company, you know, so that way that also looks at, this is not something that I came with. This is something that was put upon me by me thinking that I had COVID and how they reacted to you possibly having COVID slash malaria. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, 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 the truth is, um, the, the psychiatrist came back and said, if I had uh, responded that, that I wasn't stressed uh, with what was going on, then they would have had, you know, they would have had some sort of diagnosis. But in this sort of situation, yes, there are stresses in there. I, I think what happens is, uh, you know, the term intentional infliction of emotional distress so that can put you into a very high state of anxiety. I, I'm sure there was, you know, some sort of anxiety. But, um, yeah, I, I, I read a lot on, you know, cognitive behavior therapy. And I understand. Uh, you must have just left the app. Sometimes that happens. Okay, we'll wait for him to come back. But this is a really serious thing. And it's good for us to all be aware of how different dynamics can play out with our mental health. I mean, I used to work with a lot of veterans in flight training, military veterans. A lot of them were actually still active military, and they were using their GI Bill. And one of them ran into an issue where he was just a little stressed coming back from overseas. And someone at a a VA hospital diagnosed him with PTSD he didn't think he had it really badly. It's just, you know, maybe just a little bit of normal psychological adjustment. But to get that diagnosis removed so that he could prove that he was healthy was much harder than it was to get diagnosed in the first place. So there can be a lot of obstacles like this. Dashelle, let's go to you. Yes, I was just clapping in agreement. Getting a diagnosis is way easier than removing a diagnosis, which is why I like to, when dealing with especially airline professionals, let's kind of dig into what's going on. You know, how long have you had the symptoms? Do you need that referral for a counselor so you can get the diagnosis? Or is it just an adjustment type situation? Because those are two, that adjustment is a diagnosis, but adjustment is kind of what you just put in. If you were to be working with a therapist, they usually start with adjustment until they really can see what's going on with you. They should, because You don't want someone that's going in after your first session saying, oh, yes, you're severely depressed when that may not be the case. And it may take multiple sessions before they can really make a a set diagnosis. But like I said, in the coaching world, which is where I this business is grounded in, you know, we don't we don't set diagnosis at all. We just do the coaching behind it. We are professional counselors, but because of our licensing board, we feel like it is easier to accommodate people across the board and across the world if we are operating as a coach and just helping support you in whatever's going on with you at that time and giving you the tools you need to be successful. Well said, well said. And Murdad, I saw your microphone flash. I was I was clapping mostly, but my wife is a counselor. She's a mental health therapist. And the biggest issue she runs into is she, she doesn't like diagnosing, but insurance forces her to if she wants to get paid. And that's where if you kind of take the coaching route or even like if, you know, if you're a cash customer and you don't care about what insurance thinks, the counselor can actually work with you and 
not tag you with a diagnosis right away because insurance Absolutely. isn't going to be like you know that that that's really the bigger problem is insurance won't compensate for oh you know there's this person just needs to talk they don't they don't see that as a reason to pay and that's a lot thank you Merdad. that's a lot of things that are going on a lot of people just need to talk and get that have that safe space to say whatever they have going on a lot of people don't have a community that they can say man i feel this way or that and so if you are using insurance that does um put the therapist in that corner backs them into a corner of yes i have to give you a diagnosis in order to get paid in my practice, I am strictly private pay, as you were talking about. So that way, I'm not bound to any insurance standards. So if you're in the Atlanta area, I can definitely do counseling with you. I'm considering getting licensed in a few more areas for that reason to support other airline professionals in those areas in counseling. I am not bound by um, having to give someone a diagnosis. And my coaches that you know I work with, we all can work with you in various areas in my firm. And not, you not have to worry about having that diagnosis or it re- being reported to your company just to get the support you need. Wow. So this is wonderful. Yeah, Murdad. There's kind of this interesting dichotomy. I don't know if this is a thing in your field as well, but there are people that, you know, they may watch a few YouTube videos, listen to some podcasts and call themselves a coach, right? And then there's people that actually go and get licensed and they have the training, but rather than marketing the services counseling which i think is problematic because people don't want to go to counseling for mental health therapy but if you told them hey this is going to make you a better captain it's going to allow you to make better decisions you're going to be able to better manage stressful situations i'd be like sign me up right and and that's where that coaching term it kind of has a bad rep with the licensed counselors because there are people that aren't trained that are doing this as well but but it, it totally, I, I really wish it, there wasn't that dichotomy of, of labeling because it, if it was labeled as a performance enhancing service or a seminar or training or mind training or mindfulness or whatever, I feel like so many more people would reach out and, and seek the service. I completely agree, Murdad. Um, and that is because you are right. There are a lot of people that just say that they're coaches and they have not done the background work to be considered a coach. However, the professionals in my firm, we are all, we have all been licensed. Well, not licensed. We are all certified coaches, but there are people out here in the world that say that they are coaches. However, they have not got coaching certifications. That is definitely correct. And that does, that's where a lot of therapists have the issue because there are people saying that their coach isn't able to help, but they really don't have the background to. I've been fortunate because I have the background as a therapist, as well as a certified life coach as well. Plus I have the 16 years of experience. So I feel like, and some of my colleagues as well that work with me, work under me in my firm, we all have airline backgrounds. And so we're, as well as being coaches. So we're able to really understand, you know, airline speak. So you don't have to kind of come in and explain what a five day layover is. And, you know, what is, I was diverted or, you know, I have minimum rest because we already understand those terms. So you can just kind of go in with the understanding of, this person already understands what I have going on because they've done it. They've been through the airline in the airline industry and they can, we can just go ahead and get to me being supported and how I want to be supported. That's most important for us and aviation coaching and consulting. 
I like how this is underlying the importance of finding the right person to go to and not just maybe going to the first person. We were talking about some of the negative downsides of of like mental health and the downsides of maybe reporting it. Let's flip this around a little bit and talk about what a healthy culture would be for an aviation employer. So, uh, Siafa, like your story, that is every every professional's fear is something like that would happen to them. But so, what would a good company look like? Who would, who would like to talk about a good company? I think a good company would be one that's proactive instead of reactive, depending on the airline professional, you know, really taking into account what's going on with their employees, maybe calling in that employee's supervisor, someone that knows them personally, instead of blanketing, targeting how they're going to respond to certain events. I think that would be a good company. Then saying, okay, let's put the proper things in place. That has to take place if you're coming, you know, you can't come into the company drunk. You can't come in because then, you know, that meant you you had an intent. But if you're coming in the company saying, hey, I need support, And they are willing to say, okay, let's get you the support you need. Let's kind of verify what that looks like for you and really give you the support you need versus saying, you know, okay, we can support you. However, you're probably going to lose your job at the end of this. Um, I think that's kind of what creates a uh, negative taste in most people's mouths when going to saying they have an issue and they end up not even speaking on that issue. So if you have a supportive company that understands that you are human, yes, you guys are amazing. You are pilots, you are flight attendants, you are taking care of, you know, thousands of people daily, plus yourselves and your crew, but also saying this guy is, or this woman is human. And let's, you know, let's put in the human element of it. And let's make sure that we're keeping this person well as well. I think that's important. Also, maybe even providing, if you are in with insurance, uh, making sure that you have insurance benefits, making sure you all know that what those benefits look like. A lot of people don't know that they can use their health saver and flex saver accounts also um, for if you're in the United States and you have that. You can use that for multiple reasons. So you, it's just not, you know, okay, I have anxiety, but you can use those or your EAP. You know, we don't, a lot of people don't know that EAP is available through your company and they usually give you six to eight free counseling sessions with EAP through the EAP services, but you can use those for multiple reasons. So say you had a death in the family, you're grieving and you're not be, not well after the, the loss of a loved one. You can use those EAP, EAP services for that. But then say you have maybe issues in your marriage and you, your wife wants to get or partner wants to get marriage counseling. They'll give you eight, six to eight more free sessions for that. Say then you um, you had a diversion and something happened with you. Guess what? You can get six to eight free sessions with that. Those EAP services um, extend a, a wide, vast array of things that you can use it for, just whatever. Every incident gets six to eight free sessions. A lot of people don't know that. So if you're looking for a counselor or you're needing a counselor, you do not have to suffer in silence. 
And if that's the route you choose to go, you do have these services, but the airline does not really talk to you about mental wellness and how to make sure you're taking care of yourself beforehand. And that's where we come in. It's like, hey, let's help you on the front end of, you know, getting ahead of what's going on with you versus you're waiting to, you, it's gotten out of hand and now your anxiety's through the roof and, and maybe losing your job at that point. What is an EAP? That is your employee assistance program. We have one of those at my airline as well. For us, I believe it's two free confidential counseling sessions, but any employee from the airline can call this toll-free number and get these counseling sessions. And we have the information on our human resources page. And there have been times when I've given that information out to other coworkers. When we had flight attendants that had to deal with difficult situations, for example, and that type of thing. So a lot of airlines have something called an employee assistance program. That's part of a healthy culture. So let's talk about some of the other programs that some airlines have. Dishelle, you alluded to the one about alcohol and substance abuse. There is a great program. If you want to study how a program should be done well, I would encourage you to look at HIMS, H-I-M-S, which stands for the Human Intervention Motivational Study. That is a program where aviation professionals can go if they have substance abuse issues. The key, as Dishel said earlier, is to be proactive about it. Let's say maybe, unfortunately, you do struggle with alcoholism. The key is to realize that you have the problem and start enrolling yourself in that program proactively before you get into trouble. And some of these programs have lots of science and lots of data. And because, when you're proactive, that helps protect your career. Uh, Dishelle, did you have more comments or does anyone else have comments about that type of program? Let's go to Siafa. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, uh, we moved from the old system of safety reporting whereby you know, back in the days, it was more of like a reactive safety management sort of a overview in terms of airline safety, because they only focused on compliance, you know, the bare minimum and more than proactive uh, safety management system. Now it's more focused on a, a culture of non-punitive reporting, you know, so a just culture, you know, so to speak. I was just going to add uh, to this so that I can, you know, uh, get a perspective from uh, the shell. The, uh, the aviation medical examiner I saw is not a mental health specialist who told me I had mild depression, okay? But I hadn't seen the specialist he wanted me to see when I got my aviation medical records from the director of uh, the Civil Aviation and Safety Regulation. I I saw that he put a major medical history and bipolar depression and hypomania. So right away, uh, that was a red flag for me because then, you know, if a pilot has bipolar, like you guys said, getting a diagnosis is easier than removing it, right? But in my case, I hadn't seen a specialist. And I know it takes six months on a minimum to five, six years to get diagnosed with bipolar, for example. So for a doctor, to, to be able to diagnose a pilot within a minute of seeing him and telling him to, for example, quit his job, otherwise he's going to put mental health on his on his record. Um, that, that says a lot 
but about the safety culture. We are the most regulated industry in the world. We're even more regulated than the uh, uh, pharma or medical industry. Uh, definitely, there was something wrong. I mean, for an aviation medical examiner to diagnose a pilot, and it's not within his uh, speciality, I mean, speaks volume about uh, a reactive safety management system, you know, instead of a correct. We like studying safety management systems and safety management programs. And as you said, part of a good culture is one that's non-punitive for reporting. It's one that does not penalize people for being proactive, for getting help early on. And different cultures have made different progress over the years. In the United States, the good news is we have been making some progress toward that, but there is still farther to go in many countries, including uh, the United States. And so the question is, how, how does a culture deal with that? How does the aviation industry deal with being proactive? This is Captain Teresa. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you were one of the people being recorded, I thank you. If you were one of the people that we edited out of this recording, I beg your forgiveness. There were many reasons that this episode may have been edited, including length, audio quality, and accuracy. We don't always have the right answers. I ask you to view this as entertainment and not as a replacement for formal instruction or advice. If you want to send constructive feedback, or if you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, landingswithaflare.com. You can view announcements on our Instagram account, landingswithaflare. You can also join our live conversations on Clubhouse in the club pilot flight training. If you got value out of this podcast, please consider subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a positive review. Wherever you are in the world, we wish you happy landings.